Welcome to Frugal Fundamentals, our virtual workshop series where we provide resources and information for athletes to succeed in and out of sports. This is our learning series that focuses on different themes athletes can use and apply to their own financial playbooks. These are live interactive workshops and we hope you like them. more. Uh, this week we got someone that I've been trying to connect with for the longest time, someone that's doing amazing things um, across sports business, uh, career leadership, all that. Uh, Coach Dr. Darren Roberts, a uh, little bio about him. Um, he's the director, founding director of the Sports Innovation Leadership Center at University of Texas. He's a Harvard law, law grad who turned into an NFL coach uh, motivational speaker, educator, author, uh, you name it. So um, we're, we're excited to have him on. Um, thank you so much for taking the time. You've been up, I think, since five this morning, you know, getting, <laughs> getting work done. So um, for, for the audience that may not know you, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I'm originally from East Texas, fifth generation East Texan, uh, born and raised, went to the University of Texas, thought I was going to go into uh, – Government wanted to be the governor of Texas. <laughs> Obviously, that didn't work out, man. So, um, you know, went to law school in my second year of law school. I worked a football camp with a buddy of mine, uh, completely loved it. And it really made me think about law and how um, even though I was enjoying law school, I felt like coaching was where I needed to be. So I decided I told my parents, look, I'm going to graduate. But I'm going to write a letter to every team in the NFL and try to get an internship. Uh, I did that. Herm Edwards was the only coach to say yes. So I got an internship with the Chiefs. This was 07, volunteered for an entire season. Um, at the end of the year, we didn't do too well. We went 4-12, and 12, and he ended up letting a lot of people go. But uh, I was fortunate that he hired me on full-time. So uh, I did two years with the Chiefs, two years with the Detroit Lions, coaching DBs, uh, two years in West Virginia, last year with the Cleveland Browns. This was 13. We went 4-12. You know the story now. Went 4-12. Get <laughs> fired. You know how I get the movie. So, get fired. Um, and it really just caused me to sort of reevaluate what I wanted out of life. I wasn't seeing my kids that much. wasn't seeing my family. So, came back to Austin, the University of Texas, created a center for sports leadership and innovation. Um, I teach a class on leadership, financial management to all of our freshman athletes. And then um, I've just been fortunate to be able to bring in speakers in the sports space who we think are leading courageously. And we want to really try to amplify their stories. So Kevin Durant, Mia Hamm, uh, Sean White, Brene Brown. We talk about how can athletes really take on this courageous leadership um, with the platform that they have in order to change lives. So, man, I love your work. You and I have been trying to get together pre-COVID. It's going to happen, man. We, we will definitely uh, meet in the flesh once, it, once it's over. But I just applaud and appreciate all that you do in terms of, you know, educating athletes, being a you know professional athlete and, and sort of knowing that life and, and taking that experience and helping the younger generation. Uh, I just an honor for me to, to, to be on the be on the show, man. Thank man, you. Man, no, thank you. That's that, that's love. Uh, I want to take it back because, you know, 
you're graduating law school from Harvard. This is like when people are coming to you. So I, I think it's similar to athletes. You know, when they when they retire, they may expect people to come to them. But you emailed every coach, every team in the league, and you were willing to work as an intern for a year. When in most cases, you know that people are coming to you, jobs are coming, bonuses are coming. So can you talk about that mindset of like having to humble yourself or? Uh, you know, start from the ground up in a new venture? Yeah, so I think, you know, COVID-19 really reminds me there are two traits that I think this COVID-19 experience just reminds me that we need to always hone and craft, and that would be humility and agility. So humility to say the capital that I built up at Harvard Law School was not going to help me in the NFL. So I was going into an environment at, um, with the Kansas city chiefs where, you know, the 13 coaches on staff, they were former NFL players. They had coached in the league for 20 plus years. They didn't care that I had gone to Harvard law school and graduated. They didn't care. All they cared about was, could I fix the copy machine? Right? <laughs> <laughs> How well could I wipe off a, um, a whiteboard, right. And clean a whiteboard and hold up dummies at practice. So, I think it's important, especially for people who are trying to break in. There is a point to where you have to almost divorce your history. You may be an NFL player, MLS, Division One athlete, but the next place that you are trying to go may not give you the same um, respect or admiration that you've received from what you've done for so many years. I think the important thing is just to stay to stay humble and agile enough to say, let me kind of diagnose what this new environment is going to call for. And then let me tweak my own um, approach so that I can not necessarily fit in, but I want to be able to operate in this new place. Uh, and it's tough, man. It, it's tough. I think that that process is a very, is a very tough one. No, it's a great, I want to tie in what you said. You said, you know, you got to divorce your history. And I think that's really important what you said, because, like sports, it's guaranteed to end in divorce. You can't play forever. Uh, and, you know, shameless plug, you know, you have a book, you're the author of Call and Audible. So I want to talk about that because we're also giving a giveaway uh, for people, uh, for your book, for people that are watching this and um, possibly going to the later conference. So I want to talk about how athletes can call an Audible um, because, like you said, you're going to have to divorce. There's going to be a divorce yeah. at some point. I think you made a great point. It reminds me of something that Herman Edwards would always say, which was um, the ball goes flat for all of us. Right. So he would say, <laughs> whether you're an equipment manager or the starting quarterback or the backup long snapper, at some point, your joints and your knees and all the things that allow you to do this thing we call sport, those will get out on you. Um, so I think that the sooner the sooner athletes can embrace that reality, the better. Um, in my book, Calling Audible, it, it takes it takes the reader from working that camp at the University of South Carolina, realizing I really wanted to be a football coach, going back to my third year of law school, writing a letter to every NFL team, most college programs, and then it talks about my first year with the Chiefs where it was, you know, man, it was um, P. 
picking up pop tarts and picking up barbecue and getting, um, you know, uh, I I would pick players who were cut to the airport. I would pick up players. We had acquired the trade from the airport. I mean, it was one of those places where I was just the guy. I was twenty four seven. My phone. I didn't cut my phone off. I, I remember this. Always on I call. Did, I put my phone off for six months. I'm telling you, man, like six months. Um, just because I always wanted to be available. So I, I think for athletes, I think even aside from whether or not you want to go into coaching or not, um, I've just really been, I've been really impressed. I've been honored by people saying, look, I want to go from becoming an investment banker to a chef. And your book has helped me to strategize what that transition process will look like for me. No, that's really amazing. So like, like, let's dive deeper into the, you know, the strategy because you help freshman athletes, you know, figure this out before they're even started, before they have a potential, you know, to develop a career or before they go pro. So what is your like strategy, your, your curriculum in that, in that sense? So we start with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So we always start with how do we differentiate a need versus a want? And we're talking about spending patterns. We do some things where we'll have uh, students just look at their previous week's list of expenditures and categorize need versus want. So, you know, we all need food. We may not necessarily need the Ruth's Chris meal, right? So we talk about what that spectrum looks like. And we also uh, use a model of 50, 30, 20 in terms of for every dollar that we make, we want 50% of that going towards necessities. And we really try to hone down on what is the necessity? And that takes two or three weeks because we have to unpack sort of what society has told us that we need. So the latest pair of Jordans, <laughs> we don't necessarily need them, right? <laughs> and, 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 um, and look, this is not something I'm not coming from a place of always being frugal. And it's taken me some time, probably the last 15 years to understand. From our standpoint, I tell people this. Financial independence gives you freedom. So let's let's reimagine the budget and not think of budgeting as a confining tool, but let's think of the budget as this is a liberation vehicle so that if I manage my money well, I will have the ability to pivot or transition without necessarily being hamstrung by my current employer. No, I think that's really important. You know, we've seen the two recent drafts, the WNBA draft and, the, you know, the NFL draft. And these are overnight, you know, players that are coming into a lot of money. So I really like what you said about, you know, budget being almost like an enhancer and not a constraint um, to building financial independence. Yeah. So and then uh, I want to I want to ask you because, you know, I'm, I'm following you on LinkedIn, Twitter, you're everywhere. What? Does stay in the deep end mean? And how did it come about? How did it come about? <laughs> Man, um, so for me, stay in the deep end means to constantly keep yourself challenged to the point where, where you're, it feels like you're drowning. Now, this is one thing I want to say. I think it's very important for us to practice self-care, self-compassion. I also think, though, it's important to constantly take an inventory of whether or not we are being stretched beyond our limits. Uh, you know, all of the psychology research shows that when we try new things, when we take on new experiences, 
you know, the neurons in our brain form new synapses. It helps our development. And so stay in the deep end means stay challenged. So I always tell students, look, if you can go through a job description and check off every single box, that's probably not the right job for you, right? The, the job that's going to be more interesting to you, you know, you, you know how you apply to those jobs. You're like, there are those two boxes. I don't know. What it really Seven years, NBA preferred. <laughs> exactly, right? All those terms. Like those are the those are the experiences. I think it's just it's a, it's a symbol for experiences that once you get in, you learn so much more, so much quicker because you're having to assess and take on new information. And if you go the standard route, oftentimes you don't give yourself the opportunity to uh, to have those new experiences. No, I think that's great. I think it applies to you know student athletes and athletes as well because you know they love accomplishing goals. And, you know, the, the, the best and worst thing you could do to an athlete is tell them they can't do something. So yeah. that stay in the deep end mentality is um, is really important. Uh, yeah. I want to talk about the, you know, the concept of, you know, finding mentors, you know, finding people um, that can kind of help you along along life. You know, I was, you know, doing some stalking beforehand and someone on LinkedIn was like, yo, thank you, uh, Coach Darren, um, because of. Because of you, I had an emergency fund, and obviously with COVID-19, you know, I'm a little bit less stressed. So talk about, you know, not only emergency fund, but the concept of, you know, finding a mentor, reaching out, that, that, that relationship. Yeah, I think this is, what, this is what I wish I would have known earlier on. I'm 41 now. I think we should approach finding mentors as passionately as we do looking for, you know, our love interest, right? You think about when you're dating and how much thought and effort and time you put into nurturing that relationship. I think we have to bring that same level of intensity to mentors. And this is what I will say is that once you identify someone that you think can help provide feedback, someone who's available, um, someone who has the humility to be able to kind of spend time with you. I think that you have to really, and I've done this before, is like, and you use the term stalk, and I'm trying to find a better term for it, but you, you <laughs> almost need to, you know, you got to go through any means necessary in a, in a very diplomatic way mm -hmm. to get to them. And this is what I would say is that for mentees who are looking at mentors, before asking, look to add value. So I'll give you an example. There's a kid up at Claremont McKenna. Um, this kid, I've never met him in the flesh for two years. Every week, he sends me a list of articles that he thinks I would be interested in reading based on the things that I do. Unbelievable. I'm, I'm like, who, I, I told him, I said, listen, man, the first time he sent the email, I said, look, I'm kind of writing, I'm writing a book. I'm kind of busy. He's like, I understand. You know, I'm just going to I follow your you know, kind of what you talk about and what you consume. If you don't mind, can I just send you some articles that I think would be eventually like, yeah, whatever. Right. Next week. And it was it, here's what I really appreciate about him. You can tell they're thoughtful. The kid is just going Google and kind of find like yeah. articles on writing. Like he's really curated these articles and they're from various sources and I like 
on Wednesdays, I'm looking for his email, right? So you got your own personal newsletter from <laughs> Yeah, but I didn't even ask for it. It's just a blessing, right? But I said, man, I said, look, I don't know who taught you to do whatever this is that you're doing right now, but it just reminds me that always look to add value first. Um, some of the mentees that I've taken on, some of the first things that they ask me is like, hey, how can I, what projects are you working on? Is there any research I could do? Um, and as you know, kind of being in your position, you don't get those kinds of emails often. Yeah. Right? So I think for um, just to summarize your point, my point, for mentees looking for someone, look to add value first. Don't be offended by a lack of response or a slow response. Like almost anticipate that to be the norm uh, and be vigilant because I've seen some really, I think, beneficial relationships get cultivated because a mentee was was diplomatically relentless and at some point the mentor says damn you know she's incredible like how can i help her so now i'm sending this guy stuff i'm exactly. like hey, you know so i think it i think it works that way that's a great question i've thought about quite a bit no, I think that's really important, you know, you know, being able to uh, be a value add, you know, everyone mm. wants to receive, 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 but sometimes you have to give before. And, uh, you know, one piece of advice that I would like to share is like, as a mentee, you know, when you help those mentors, they're so they're much more willing to, you know, go out of their way to help you in the long run. So I think it's really important. Uh, I just want to thank you for sharing that story. I love to meet whoever that person is that is helping you. I think it's uh, it's, a, it's amazing. Um Uh-oh. Let's see. So he just left. I think he's going to come back on. Um, for the people that are tuned in, we have uh, Coach Dr. Darren Roberts um, from University of Texas. He's a motivational educator and speaker. Um, he does a lot of great things around sports business, uh, sports management, um, financial management, career development, all of that, all of those type of things. So we're just going to wait for him to get back on. I think... Um, Something happened with this internet. But in the meantime, um, make sure you guys check out frugalathlete.com. We share prudent financial practices and smart career decisions amongst professional athletes and student athletes. Um, this Frugal Fundamentals workshop series is a six-week series. Um, this week is career development. And um, so we have Coach Darren Roberts today for the morning session. And then um, in the afternoon, we have um, Dr. Donovan Smalls, who's going to be for our Zoom conference. So that's um, in the link in bio, uh, Frugal Fundamentals. So make sure you guys check that out. I started the, the, the internet guys tried to keep us, man. But <laughs> no, no, no worries. So I was just, uh, while, while you got back on, I was just mentioning, like, why, how it's so important to be a value add. And, um, mm. you know, instead of just receiving, 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 you got to give, give, give. Because mentors, you know, people that are a little bit more successful, they're willing to help. That's what I found out. They're willing to help but they want to help the people that are willing to help themselves and willing to help as well. So, um, yeah. Can I say one thing on this point? Um, this process doesn't stop. So I'm actively in the process of trying to recruit a new mentor for me. Mm. Um, I love writing. It's, it's, you know, my three functions in life that I love that really light me up are speaking, writing, and teaching. And so, I'm trying to take my writing to the next level. Um, and there's a woman who writes incredibly well 
and I follow all of her writing, and I want her to mentor me. And I've sent her three emails already <laughs> that have not gotten any response, okay? So I just want to say for some of the people who think that maybe this mentor-mentee relationship is is in an age dimension, it never stops if you're if you're looking to get better. No, I think it's really important. And just, like, you have to be persistent, you know? Um, as athletes, you know, as professional athletes, as student athletes, there are certain ways to get endorsed that, you know, some people may not have the fortunate luxury of doing. So take advantage of your platform. I think it's really important. Um, and ask yeah. questions. Ask questions. Well, one quick thing, I'm sorry. I want to be, hey. One quick thing I want to say on that point with student athletes. You can go as long as you want. No, 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 no. You can say something you think of something like, especially for student athletes, you have a short window while you are a student athlete at a university college, wherever it may be, your emails will be responded to quicker while you are eligible. It, it just, it's just the territory. Alums, job, I mean, employers. So really leverage that .edu account while you're on the team. You will see a difference once you graduate and move on. The response time will get slower. Like, I always tell people, uh, to the student athletes that I teach, Leverage the .edu account now. Cold email, like do what you have to do now because the value of that, the value of your brand, unfortunately, just is just reality. For most athletes, there may be two to three percent where it increases over time, but the value of your brand is going to decrease as it relates to your alumni base and. Um, people associated with your university so leverage it as much as you can in the in the, in the present tense that's that's i gotta i gotta use that and make it into like a whole blog <laughs> leverage your dot edu account oh that's amazing and, and you know with recent news in the you know ncaa um i'm not sure how much you could speak on it but how can athletes uh, student athletes leverage you know this opportunity with you know their name image and likeness and of course there's still limitations to it there's still things that are being worked out but how are athletes um, how, do, how do you see athletes um, being able to take advantage of this? Yeah, I mean, first I want to say that, um, you know, what the NCAA is going to be instituting should have been done a long time ago from my perspective because I, I know the immense value that's created from the 18 to 21-year-olds that um, play the various sports. The second thing I want to say is that this is this is a new territory. So this is going to, I believe, start off like the wild, wild west in terms of, you know, I'm here in Austin, Texas. Um, there's a company called Tiff's Treats, which makes incredible cookies. I eat too many of them. <laughs> but they're mainly a Texas company. They've got some, some branches in Atlanta. But a, a company like Tiff's Treats would love to have a women's basketball player or a football player sign up to an Instagram deal where, hey, you know, post a pic each week and we'll pay you X amount. So I think you're going to see a lot of local businesses really try to leverage the brand association and the value from student athletes. So this is the time to clean up your social media, number one. So um, obviously there's a footprint of the stuff in the past, but I would start going through old posts um, the N-word, profanity, bad jokes, bad videos, I would clean that up now because I think social media is going to be the primary platform that companies and small businesses are going to leverage when they try to sign on with athletes. Um, I'm really, I'm, I'm kind of 
I've been working on an op-ed that I really need to finish at some point, but I think the universities, it's going to be incumbent upon the universities to teach classes that talk about state contract law, intellectual property. I mean, this is a legal matter, and the way the current system is set up, although they'll be allowed to have agents, um, there is going to be the potential for some abuse. So this is where the universities, and I'm really looking at the college presidents, not necessarily the athletic directors. I think college presidents will need to create educational components to give athletes a sound footing as we as we move into that period. But, you know, in general, I love it. You know, if, any non-athlete, I've had non-athletes in my classes those athletes could go and open up an LLC. They could raise venture capital funding and the university would put them on a commercial and a billboard and say, this is, this is how we teach entrepreneurship. And that, those options have been foreclosed to many student athletes just because compliance offices have said, we don't want to get anywhere near. <laughs> There's probably a way to get it done, but we don't want to go there. I think it's a liberating time for athletes and I'm hoping that the institutions make the kind of create the, the proper safeguards to make sure that the system runs well. No, I think it's great. And um, it's important, like you said, and obviously you, you have a whole curriculum around this, but, you know, understanding contracts, understanding your likeness, your IP, your trademarks, your logos, um, having a brand audit is more most important because you can make a tweet and then you're, you're on the spotlight and a fan's like, oh, local business, tips, treats. You guys support this, this player who does this, this and that. So making sure you do the brand audit, I think it's all really important. Um, yeah. But before I let you go, I just want to say thank you so much for your time. Who are some athletes, you know, that, you know, other student athletes or younger people can like kind of look up to um, in terms of, you know, what they're doing from a career development standpoint, you know, a good brand presence, all that, you know, some, what are some takeaways that you want the audience to have? Yeah. You know, I, um, look, the biggest name in athletics now is sports LeBron, but, um, I have just been so impressed with the way that LeBron has led his life off the court. Um, we know about starting the school, his philanthropic efforts. We know about his political stances and when he's chosen to kind of enter the conversation. But if you look at his social media, I mean, he is, I think he is somewhat the gold standard as it relates to how do I begin to brand myself and portray myself in a way that allows people to understand what I believe, but also gives me a vehicle for monetizing my skill set? Now, he's an exception in terms of talent, but I think we can take something from the framework that, that he's used. Um, he would be he would be number one. I'm going to mention a couple of others. Colin Johnson and Kirk Johnson at the University of Texas. Okay. What they've done is they've leveraged YouTube. So they've created YouTube channels and they've had these for two years where each week they've uploaded episodes around personal development or how do you create goals and they've mixed in kind of some lessons from the football context. I think athletes would be very smart to not just think of the traditional kind of TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram, somewhat Twitter, the YouTube market 
as we move into this name, image, and likeness will be a vehicle that will have even more monetary potential in terms of uh, long-term benefits, right? In terms of followership and viewership. So I think we, I, I think, you know, for the athletes who are like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm TikTok and I'm Snapchat yeah. and a little bit of Instagram, I think really kind of opening themselves up to other platforms because those are going to have some long-term uh, returns that I think will be beneficial for them. No, I think it's really important that you said that because, I mean, YouTube is the second most searched uh, search engine. And, you know, you can kind of create your own show. And regardless of if you're getting a brand deal or not, just because by building a subscriber base, you're able to control your story and you're able to, you know, make money simply just off the people that follow you. Whereas, you know, Instagram or TikTok, you're going to have to do a brand deal um, based on followers. Yeah, and I think, I think what you're seeing too, take Cam Newton, for example, he made a decision about three years ago that he was going to turn down a lot of the exclusive interviews, um, a lot of the kind of uh, lead-generated content because he had built up such a following online, in particular YouTube, that he wanted to keep his content for himself. Yeah. And so I think that gives us a great example of, um, I understand that, that probably that generation we're talking about Y'all don't use YouTube as much. I mean, you kind of, you're in and out. But to your point, that subscription model and the long-term monetary revenue that can be generated, you know, that's, that's mailbox money that will outlast your eligibility in college. Oh, that's great. And I love the, uh, you know, the analogy with mailbox money. Um, but where can the audience find you? Obviously, your, uh, your handle's on IG, but where can they find you? Um, yeah. So, um, you know, you mentioned the movie, the... Um, uh, LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is a big platform for me. So I'm just Darren K. Roberts uh, on LinkedIn, at Coach DKR on all social media platforms, Twitter and Instagram. Um, also, if you want to send me an email, CoachDKR at CoachDKR.com. Um, and the, one of the last things I want to say, and if you, if you want to let people ask questions. I, yeah, this, yeah, open for questions the whole time. I've, I've already finished my, my homeschooling duties, so I've got a couple minutes. <laughs> okay, perfect. You know, I just want to be respectful to your time. No, 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 no. no. It's uh, my wife and I split the homeschooling duties, so I kind of put an early shift in and then <laughs> I got some extra minutes. But um, I just think, man, this time is if there's any skill or craft that you wanted to hone prior to COVID-19, like this is your spring, this is like your spring break sabbatical to do it. So, like right now, I'm, I'm in an online course for writing. Um, I'm following writing kind of people on Twitter. I read a subset of articles. I think it's, we almost need to con like rethink ourselves as, as the dean of a college and create a personal syllabus yeah. for whatever it is you want to get good at, like right now, because we won't always have, always have this, this kind of time in the future. That's exactly right. And uh, it leads me to my next question. Um, can you talk about your micro wins my mindset? Because I've been implemented it into, you know, my kind of routine now during um, COVID-19. And, um, you know, whether it's, you know, developing hard skills that can apply to whatever I may do next or, you know, simple things like making sure I write my blogs. Um, I think yeah. it's really important. So can you talk about like the, the, the process of micro wins in your in your life? Yeah, no, I appreciate it. So one of the things that I've studied 
effectively is self-optimization. So how can how can humans become more effective at getting things done? And a lot of the research shows that, that we are very bad at goals. Um, by February the 2nd, 85% of the New Year's resolutions are either forgotten or broken. Um, and so we're good at setting goals. We're not good at implementing them. And as I look at the research, a lot of it leads me in the direction of breaking up big goals into small steps. So for me, the, the term micro wins means I want to stack the deck in my favor. I want to create a very small attainable goal each day in three categories. So work, family, and home. So for example, I'm writing a book. Most people think, oh, I want to write a book. That's great. But how do you break that down? So for me, that means my micro win for work is writing 500 words a day. Um, number two, family. I pick one thing that I want to do with the family each day. Um, yesterday, my son and I made a um, one of those theater planner boxes yeah. that you can, you know, COVID-19, the DIY movement. The DIY movement <laughs> is like loving COVID-19, but we, we did that. Uh, one night is play Uno, like small things that I think really help to build a connection with family and then health. So may run three miles one day, may just commit to having two cups of green tea or green smoothie for breakfast. And then I can check those off. I write those down in the morning and then I check off the ones that I hit at night. And it starts to build momentum because you're like, okay, I'm doing well in these two categories. Let me let me really diagnose why I'm failing or, or not miss not hitting the mark in this particular category. And so, you know, over the over the last three months, they've been over 200 people online who've just kind of picked up the practice. Um, and it, it's something that young, old, regardless of race or gender, people have, have found some success. in. so thanks for thanks for trying it out. man. It makes me feel good to know that uh, for someone like you who's operated at, at an elite level, that it's, it's helped somewhat. No, it's great. Like you said, I, I feel like it gives that snowball effect. You know, once you get one win, it builds to two, to three. And uh, a gentleman on the um, the live asked a question. Um, he has a, a double question. Um, okay. Best practices for writing that you've applied, and what does success look like to you? Like, what's your moonshot? Great question, okay. by the way. Great question. Um, that's really good. Best process for writing. I'm going to tell you what my um, world literature professor would say she said insert butt in chair and, <laughs> and the first time she said it, i'm like what and then i had her for you know this course for a year but it hit me the important thing about writing is just to do it like and here's the problem and here was my problem i would try to write and edit at the same time. Oh, so one of the keys is, and I learned this from my first book, working with an editor. She said, fall in love with the first draft. So you're typing. If you think about an article that you want to reference, don't go search for it. Parentheses, that article by, you know, Darren Roberts parentheses and keep writing or if you can't think of a word dot 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 keep writing if you want to find a synonym don't go to a thesaurus dot 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 keep writing 
Wow. You, you have to convert the practice early on into a sprint. So it is just a, my first swipe at something is just a brain dump of ideas. I'm not looking, thinking about language. Agreement, I am just writing. Then the second time you come through, you start to fill in the gaps. And I'm going to tell you something. That practice alone has tripled my output. Oh, that's a game changer. It, it, it's it's a complete game changer. And I think that oftentimes with beginning writers, when we start, we're like, we think about the finished product we write. And we're like, okay, we got to get it like that. If you take that approach, your books will come out every 20 years. Right? <laughs> so it's just the way it is. Um, so so that's, that's my approach to writing. I also think it's important to find writers you like and to read their writing on a regular basis. And I don't mean books. I'm a big fan of articles, uh, short form articles, blogs, like find the style of writing you like. And when you see a sentence you like, I copy paste sentences and send them to myself. I have a Gmail folder that's called good sentences that I just go through and I just swipe, swipe right. Like, mm, why do I like this? Oh, I like the way that they, um, you know, the verb tense here or um, sh a lot of short sentences that are really punchy. Like, just fall in love with good writing and don't keep going back to it. Um, then I forgot the second question. I'm sorry. I'm talking too much. What the second question? Oh, no. I think his, his second question was, like, what does success look like to you in uh, five years? Like, what's yeah. your driving, uh, what's your moonshot? That's how you described the question. Yeah. I've been thinking about this a lot right now. Success to me feels like waking up in the morning and having complete control of how I spend my time for the day. So what does that mean? I am currently focused on building multiple revenue streams such that I have complete control of how I spend every minute of my day. Um, I want to take my kids to school. I can do that. If I want to go to the coffee shop for two hours, I can do that. And I'm not there yet, but I think having control over one's time and not necessarily having to go to a place five days a week for eight, eight hour blocks that to me is, is Nirvana. So um, how do you get there? My approach is to create enough revenue streams. Maybe it's writing. Um, maybe it's rental apartments, rental houses. Maybe it's, you know, it's intellectual property in terms of copyright and trademarks. Um, like having an assortment of those things that can constitute a living to support me and my family because essentially what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to buy my time back. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to generate enough revenue from Darren so that I can buy my time back and not have to be anywhere at a certain time. I hope that makes sense. That's just kind of where my mindset is. No, that's a great answer. I want to ask it um, from a different way because, you know, as athletes uh, that make it to the professional level, they've reached that success. Like they worked their whole life, you know, and getting to that point. But then when it's all over, what happens? You know, they made the capital sometimes, you know, when you when you're not when you don't have that next vision of what success looks like, 
how how does that affect you know your future yeah i think it's that's why i think it's very important for athletes to visualize retirement before the rookie phase yeah so you almost have to constantly i'm constantly pushing the people that i work with to jump into a time more and go to the day where you're announcing your retirement what does the next day look like do you want to be in scramble mode where you're like hey okay so what what am i going to do or do you want to be into a, a, a in a position where you are transitioning and i think about like the, the peyton mannings and just hear me out here because people are like oh that's peyton manning though <laughs> but you look at drew Brees signing the deal while he's playing to work for i don't know is it cbs or uh, uh, nbc he NBC turned down uh, ESPN for NBC, I believe. That's right. Turned down ESPN for NBC. The guy's still playing. <laughs> now, 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 the lesson for me is this: just like he's already planning for retirement, even if I'm the 53rd man on an NFL roster, I can be thinking about: okay, should I invest in some rental properties back in my hometown, just so that's another source of revenue? Um, should I shadow someone in real estate or investment banking or education? Like, can I build out some internships to give me a, a glimpse of what I may want to do? Like, that's what you could be doing. The problem is that the, the burden falls on the athlete. Mm -hmm. And I know it's not, it's not easy because you're also trying to perform at a high level in whatever sport you've chosen, dedicate some time, if it's not an hour, but an hour a week to say, okay, I'm going to reach out to three alums. I'm going to set up some coffees or some talks just to kind of understand a little bit more about X, Y, or Z. I think, I think that's, uh, you can't have said it better. Uh, I couldn't have said it any better. And you know, taking it back to what you, you, what you apply, you know, just do the micro win mindset and you don't have to do it every day. You can do micro wins from a week standpoint or a month standpoint or you know upload or backload it to your off season so i think it's really important um, to like you said um envision your retirement i think that's a, that's a that's a bar right there um, but anything else i mean so you have a new book that's about to come out um do you have the title already <laughs> you know i don't and that's the thing i basically uh my, my last day of teaching was yesterday um and so May is, I'm about to go into a deep hole for the month of May, where basically I just kind of go into a closet with a table and a laptop and write. I've got some ideas down that are kind of crystallizing. Um, but to your question, I think for people who want to write, like really feel comfortable writing without the ideas form. Um, I, I, I found that writing helps me think through ideas. I don't need to have it already fully formed. Um, but to answer your question, it's going slowly, man. It's going slow. <laughs> but I think I'm going to hit my stride here in a couple of days, and I'm looking forward to it. No, that's amazing. Well, once again, uh, Coach Dr. Darren Roberts, uh, it's a pleasure finally getting to connect. I know when I get back to Austin, we're definitely going to have lunch or sit down and really get to connect. So uh, thank you so much for the time. Um, for the people that you know came in, came out, we're definitely going to have this uploaded, you know, both video and podcast form after the six weeks of uh, Frugal Fundamentals. Um, the theme for this week, we'd like to thank Darren Roberts again. 
uh, career development. Um, but obviously, if you listen, there's so much more that we were able to take away. So we want to thank you for the time. Also, as part of our Frugal Fundamentals uh, series, we have a partnership with uh, Jonathan Van Horn. He's a life coach, an educate uh, character coach, and he has a shift program to help you, you know, kind of find your per purpose. Um, also, Darren Roberts, he has a book already, um, Call an Audible. Um, I think this will be very timely for you guys right now, um, not knowing what's next, not knowing, you know, if you're going to go back to school, um, play. Some of you guys may be free agents. Some of you guys may be on, you know, the last year of your deals. Uh, so it's important to understand um, how you might have to navigate. Thank you so much for having me. I just think all the value that you're adding to the community, um, you know, these are resources that I wish, even as I only played in high school, but I wish these kind of resources were around, you know, for some of the guys and the, and the gals that I knew back in college. So just thank you for being such an asset and resource. No, nah, man, I appreciate it. It really means a lot. And like, as you said, even though, you know, it might be catered to athletes. You know, sports is the is the best life coach. So I feel like all of this translates. And as athletes, they're natural trendsetters. So if we can get athletes to, you know, talk about career development, you know, financial management, good good practices in that sense, um, it's just going to have a snowball effect and help the whole community. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for tuning into this podcast. Frugal Fundamentals are originally posted live on our Instagram or private Zoom link. For more information on how you can join our private virtual workshops, check the show notes below.